for dropping into the Inside Job. It's a podcast where we get a peek into the interior lives of interesting people and find out how we can make our own inside lives better too. We live in a time of huge conflict and challenge, and I'm not going to say unprecedented because that's almost meaningless now, but we're all familiar with the panic at the environmental crisis and the news headlines and Currently, the people of Afghanistan are under awful attack and there's always some kind of fuckery going on in the world and we feel powerless. I feel so powerless. And it's all a bit bigger than turning off the tap when we brush our teeth or sending a fiver to the Red Cross. It, it, it feels much, much bigger than that. Um, my guest today is creative and craftivist Susie Warren who decided that instead of raging and moaning about the state of the world she decided to do what she could as she says and what she does is to make witty beautiful polite and very English acts of protest which have grown into a global movement and they're full of joy and delight and fun and community, community connection. She connects people together through her humour and the beautiful things that she creates. And the Stitch It, Don't Ditch It um, movement gently spreads the message that the fashion industry creates a huge amount of environmental damage. And we contribute to this by buying new clothes. And it shows us what we can do about it ourselves. I started by asking Susie what it meant to be a craftivist. Well, um, the way I, I use that word, I suppose, is in kind of come, coming at issues on sort of present day things that worry me um, in a way that is very polite very so not a protest but a kind of a, a kind and sort of humorous response and and using materials and um a sort of cra yeah, crafts to to make my point i think what i've discovered about my brain <laughs> quite recently is and i'm really grateful for this because it never used to be the case i used to get very angry about almost everything yeah uh, and suddenly i maybe i've just got a little bit sort of senile but now these sort of terrible events or, or, or things, lies or, or, or things that happen in the outside world enter my brain and then they go through a kind of purifying system and what gets sort of spat out the other side a bit like a sort of pez dispenser is oh here's something really stupid you could do and that's kind of how I respond now in, with kind of silliness and and with a kind of more craft-based thing so I think what I love about craftism is that it's it's really gentle. It's yeah. really gentle. It's really sort of inclusive. It's kind. And hilarious. And you, I mean, I don't often laugh out loud. <laughs> you make me laugh out loud. You're like, the things that you create are like, um, are like blasts of sh sunshine through clouds. Or, oh, you know, what a lovely way. It's like, oh, yes. Well, I just think, okay, I just <laughs> myself laughing thinking of that. So it may, you know, it may resonate with other people a bit and mm. I, I I don't know it's just I always start to relax when I hear a comedian 
ripping the piss out of something that has been fearful and and terrifying or you know, has the potential to be and you you just hear someone making a joke of it it's like oh my god there's still humanity as long as we can just kind of twist it and see it in a different way and look at the world in a slightly less fearful place there's always hope so that's quite important to me but so there's so there's so much to unpack in what you've just said but bef um can you what 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 is what has been your favorite protest of my own probably mm -hmm. the first one because it was the most uh it took me on the, on the biggest journey in a different direction from myself so the first one i remember doing it was when we were negotiating brexit and this wasn't really to do with whether we wanted to stay in or leave it was just the the quality of the negotiations I just thought were awful. I mean, we just seemed really unneighbourly, really hostile. I just, I was embarrassed for our country for being, yeah, so, so uh, uninviting, unwelcoming. I didn't like it. And I thought, right, okay, uh, what can I do? And I'm very fortunate I live near King's Cross. And um, so we got the arrivals thing for, uh, for the Eurostar. And I went with a friend, I made a big banner. It just said, uh, welcome to Britain. Sorry, we're being a bit weird. And I made loads of cakes. And we went down there with a lo you know, lovely banners, all look really pretty. We stood outside the arrivals hall. And then when people came out, we just went, welcome, come on in, make yourself at home. You know, as though we were just welcoming them to our house and offering cakes. And, and it was you know, the reaction was so charming. At first, people thought, are they trying to sell me a carpet? Because obviously, you enter a new country and you've got some kind of <laughs> peddlers there immediately. It's like, no, no, it's free. Just take one. Just, you know, come on in and have a nice time here. Mm. Um, and I just really sort of felt empowered by doing it. I just felt less, yeah, sort of deflated by the whole thing. And that seemed just to get quite a nice response from, from the people that we shared it with. And then actually we did another one for people leaving the country, which was a bit like if you were leaving a party, so they got a goodie bag of Britain. And in that, <laughs> I think it was a kind of a, a good British joke. Uh, there was some British rainwater uh, taken from Regent's Park, so it was good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there was a Tunnock's tea cake, <laughs> which is lovely, and, a, and an Irish tea bag, and maybe something else. I don't know. But they were like little goody going home bags, and we just doled those out down the queue of people leaving and just said, thanks for coming. <laughs> Have a nice time going home. Get back safely. And it, you know, it just sort of made the whole thing just homely and kind of, yeah, made me happy. <laughs> well, well, what I imagine is that it makes... what. Well, what makes your protest different is that it makes connections rather than division. Yes, I I, I think that's probably true. Yeah. Which so the, you know the humour kind of opens people up and warms, and because you're you're just as I said, a sort of ray of sunshine, and you're inviting and sweet and, and you know <laughs> open-hearted. Yes. It yeah, engages with dialogue and makes connection possible rather than you know usually with protest. It's it's a big. No, it's, pushing away. it's a big gang over here and it's a big gang over there or it's or it's what we're protesting about over there and yeah this wasn't really supposed to be like that at all yeah. I didn't want to protest about anything I just wanted to do the thing that was hurting me mm -hmm. <laughs> you know this sort of unkindness that seemed to be coming from us so I just thought right well I'll just do it for myself I can't hey, had you had you been um protesting before or was it all banged up in your head <laughs> No, no, I hadn't really. No, I've been living in a complete bubble for about 50 years. No, I, I haven't I hadn't really sort of protested traditionally at all. Yeah. That would be the first time. And it really was just about what can I do to change myself? 
because mm -hmm. I have actually at least realized you can't change anybody else <laughs> and that's absolutely bloody futile you just have to change yourself and then if you change your energy shifts a bit and then that might affect somebody else and you know you can only start with you mm -hmm. so that's where I began mm -hmm. and then since then yeah I've, I've just sort of thought well if I can if I can sort of say what I feel about that and that felt good I'll just start saying about everything that annoys me like automated um checkout machines in supermarkets they're annoying they all talk to me you know they all say the same damn thing but like three seconds apart and it's just like this babble of kind of automated chatter that is absolutely meaningless drives me nuts so i started to sort of say having said about that and yeah just sort of now anything that annoys me oh yes escalators <laughs> escalators telling you to be careful it's like shut up i don't need a piece of autonomy to tell me to you know look out for myself oh, I, no escalator has ever told me to be careful is it's obviously a person it's promised personal to you yeah no escalators if they hold the handrail please be careful don't do this oh the labels oh yeah they don't talk to me but they, oh, they, they... Oh, london you oh. see they talk they talk so you're all the way going down you go please hold the handrail please hold the handrail whilst traveling and then on the other side it's saying it to the people going up and they're all slightly out of sync so it's just it's like travel and then be safe and it's, it's like shut up so yeah i just made myself a dress and it just said let go of the handrail <laughs> standing at the bottom of escalators and um king's cross with a loudspeaker just going let go let go nothing bad will happen you'll be fine <laughs> so yeah really silly but <laughs> but delicious! Oh, that's that's fantastic. Delicious. Have you ever, have you ever got into trouble? Have you been arrested? No, no, I, no. I can't be. I look too dithery, and <laughs> no one quite. I'm, I'm just the, the things I say and do are a bit too slippery. I, you know, what what could you get me for telling someone not to hold a handrail? No, that I can't go to jail for that. Mm. No, no. So far, I've been very lucky, and uh, yeah, I just play up being a little bit senile. <laughs> really helps <laughs> well it's a, I, I have a theory that um, are you, uh, where are you in menopause process do you post menopausal uh, yeah yes very <laughs> yeah so I have I have this theory that for postmenopausal women that the greyness and the kind of ditheriness is actually a disguise mm. oh god a yes. very effective disguise so people can piss off and leave us alone we can get on with on with doing quite interesting things and without being interfered with. It's, it's a superpower. Ditheriness is a superpower to be used whenever anything yeah mm. might confront us that is like, oh, I really haven't got time for that rubbish. I'll just be seen off. It's fine. Yeah, it's good. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I tend to walk up and down because I don't want to be burgled, but I like to keep my door open. I just walk up and down the street looking slightly deranged and I have a tortoise so I often look up wine weed and bits of old you know weed from around the trees and, and people kind of think oh that's that nutty woman and then they see that my door's left open no one's going to go a million miles near my house with my door open it's like oh she leaves her door open the maniac woman so yeah you just have wow to and but you live in, in North London right yeah yeah, I've, it I've must be the only the only person in North London with their front door open. I know, and I I really I'm not at night. I close it at night, but during the day, because I think I really object to this whole idea that if I leave my door open and some groat of a burglar comes in and steals something, it's my fault. Why is it my? It's like well, you're asking for trouble. You left your door. I hate that attitude. You're like no, it's the burglar's fault. I just I was just doing my thing. I didn't steal it. But yeah. It, that always happens, particularly to women, doesn't it? It's like, oh, well, you're asking for trouble. You were walking down that park. So it's your fault that you get attacked. I just find that kind of 
shifting of blame onto somebody who's kind of just a bit more open about things quite lowering so I fight it by leaving my door open and then acting like a complete nutcase so that no one comes into it that's well that's excellent defense yes I know <laughs> there could be burglar alarm companies who hire out postmenopausal women to do batty things <laughs> herd cats outside your house it'd be cheaper than having an expensive alarm system you're absolutely right I also have a kind of you know how church halls used to have those lovely little sort of display boards outside their 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 churches to kind of tell you what coffee mornings were going to be on I have one of those it has photographs of everything in my house well, not everything but may, the rooms in my house so any self-respecting burglar will look at it and go oh god that's not worth anything I mean it's full of things worth about a pound no one's going to really want it so I thought if I just show it outside the house they can have a look scan it go there's no telly there's no oh god where's the where's the, you know where's the good stuff ah forget it I'll go somewhere else so yeah <laughs> fantastic so I, I wanted to, what tell me about what you're interested in now what you're getting angry about now because you seem to have start you seem to have accidentally started a global movement yeah well, that was a, with your with your ditheriness the ditheriness and the well, yes, I, I think it's under the radar. Global movement by mending a pair of socks outside Primark. Um, so what that was is there's this amazing woman called Asala de Castro, and she founded Fashion Revolution about 20 years ago. And more recently, I think even this year, she uh, published a book called Loved Clothes Last. And I hadn't read the book, but I was listening to uh, an interview with her on the radio. And one of the points she was making was with fast fashion, people like her actually exacerbate the problem because they often refer to uh, clothes are made you know, cheaply as cheap tat. So that the people who buy it, kind of, it, it sort of increases the reputation to something you can kind of throw away. They're sort of made to be disposable. And actually, you know, a lot of the clothes are made, they could last a very long time if people cared for them. And uh, I thought, oh, well, I'm just going to sit outside Primark then and mend some old leggings that I think were from Primark. And I made myself a little sign that said, stitch it, don't ditch it. And I sat there and I started mending my, my leggings. And it sort of had a similar effect to, if a, I guess, if an artist came and set up an easel and started painting. People just kind of gather around because you're not, you're not asking for anyone's attention. So they just sort of feel it's perfectly safe to sort of nuzzle up and have a look. And it started a few conversations and people were saying, oh, so, so why are you doing it here? And I said, well, you know, I think people just assume that they can buy some leggings and wear them twice and chuck them. And I'm thinking, well, actually, no, if you're going to buy something, you kind of have to enter into a kind of contract with it to keep it going for as long as you possibly can. Because, you know, the longer you have a relationship with something, the nicer it is, whether that's people or pets or clothes. So um, just hold on to it. Keep it going. And actually, you do get a slightly better dopamine hit from repairing something than you do from buying it new. And um I don't know if it really changed many minds, but I thought I actually really enjoyed that because al already there's something absolutely lovely about sewing mm. and then doing it outside and talking to people at the same time just felt great. So I put it all post up on Instagram and said, I'm going to do this again. Would anyone like to come with me? And I was genuinely expecting maybe kind of three mates to go, yeah, all right. Yeah, I'll do it, Susan. And I was absolutely inundated with people saying, well, I can't do it in London, but I'll do it in Edinburgh and I'll do it in Cardiff and I'll do it in Leeds and I'll do it in Australia and I'll do it in Spain. And it's like, whoa, it was just like phenomenal. It was just incredible. So we all sat for an hour on high streets in our own local areas and because of social distancing, which actually really helped. Mm -hmm. So we all had our own chairs and we just made a, a line right down the middle of the street, two meters apart, with our stitch it don't ditch it street banners 
on the backs of our chairs. We didn't need any other banners or nonsense. It was all very self-contained and didn't get in anybody's way because, you know, we don't, we're not there to block roads or do anything. It's just to sit, sit and sort of show a kind of peaceful alternative to like new stuff. And uh, we did it for one hour on the same time and day, which sort of tied in with the circular economy week that was going on in, I think it was June the 14th. And um, it was just absolutely lovely. And people sort of sent in their photos from all over the world of you know, the day they'd had. No one got into any trouble. There was no kind of aggression. People were just kindly or interested. And because the idea really was not to speak, you know, it wasn't to kind of chat or make any kind of point. It was just to sit and be absorbed in sewing. Uh, I produced um, a kind of online resource on Wakelet, uh, leading to all sorts of uh, online tutorials for how to kind of mend a button, how to uh, everything from sort of embellishing and visible mending and invisible mending and everything else. And everyone just had a QR code with them so they could just let people take a photo of that. And that was a kind of very easy way to show people how to get started if they wanted to. Um, and so it's it's all growing and growing. In fact, really excitingly, I don't I don't know if I'm preempting anything, but we may be in Times Square. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> so I, I, just, I just got the news from people in New York City who sort of said we want to do this in New York, and yeah, kind of Fifth Avenue, Times Square was kind of mentioned. I have no idea what the rules and regulations are. But in Times Square, it isn't trap the traffic. You know, there isn't traffic anymore, so it would be really possible. No, this, it um, may be. Yeah, it maybe they can do it. Maybe they, which is <gasps> utterly oh glorious. Goodness. I mean, how iconic! I mean, oh, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. So the next one is for the fourteenth of September. Fourteenth of September, okay. Yeah, which is to tie in with circular. Oh, sorry, sustainable fashion week. Mm. Um, I think we've got about thirty countries on board now. Wow! But it's it's just so lovely just to see this kind of go out. I've I've totally lost control of it. It's great. <laughs> you know, you just. And it's such a nice example of one person doing one thing and it just mm -hmm. rippling out and, you know, then everyone's owning it and everyone's doing lovely things and connecting. And I think the thing I hadn't kind of quite uh, banked on was that everyone was saying, well, now I've got a community in my in my little local high street. I've met seven or eight or 10 or 20 other people that feel similarly to me and we're going to keep doing this now. We're going to meet up and do this. And so they all just formed friendship groups and great i mean how nice <laughs> nothing oh, not to like really fabulous hmm. um did, how did you learn who, who taught you to sew oh well actually rather sweetly uh when my daughter was about five uh, i found a little local sewing group um and i sort of encouraged her to go with a friend and this, I mean, this group were brilliant. I mean, it's from sort of five up to about 15, but you know, you've got these little five-year-olds on sewing machines. It's kind of, whoa. And after about three months, this other girl dropped out. And so my daughter, Betty, sort of said, oh, I don't want to go anymore. I went, is it because you need a friend? And she went, yeah. So I went, oh, right, I'll be your friend. I'll come. <laughs> <laughs> so, and we did it from the age of, of five to 15. Uh, so all those years, and it was just me and a whole bunch of little kids. And I absolutely loved it. It was a lovely way to learn to sew, really inspiring. Um, but having said that, so I knew how to go and make clothing, but I hadn't actually used stitching to mend things because I'm a printer because my I've got an online business that prints. Mm. That's how I've always actually embellished or patched up my own clothes with, with printing stuff and printing words. So the whole thing of sort of sitting and actually sewing and mending was actually really new to me this year 
and the kind of the whole kind of lovely meditative feel of it is something really new to me. So um, yeah, I'm not an old hand at this at all. <laughs> and I, can young people sew these days? I mean, I think that, that they haven't. I mean, obviously anybody could. It's not. It's not a hard thing to learn to do at all. It's mm. really simple. It's really repetitive. It's you know. Um, I think we've massively de-skilled ourselves. I think maybe there was, you know, either our generation or the one just behind us had a huge problem with mending things, perhaps to do with, you know, it's sort of connotations with impoverishment or because, you know, these fast, this fast fashion industry has made it so easy and so normal and so kind of appropriate just to chuck and rebuy mm. that no one's thought to mend. It's just not something that... Um, comes as a as a first option anymore mm. but I think I it's think, changing I do think yeah it's I think so too I think that I'm trying to think about generations and stuff my mum was born in 27 25 27 something like that so she was a teen in the war years so obviously she mended you know and she'd yeah. sit there with her um egg or a mushroom and you yeah, know yeah don socks and mend things and there was a pile of mending you know this was a big feature in our life that the, the evil mending pile it wasn't meditative and fun <laughs> did you enjoy mending or was it a chore it was a chore turning collars mm. don't know how to bed do sheets bed sheets <laughs> I mean, it's kind of bizarre because i come from like really quite a privileged background but a lot of the stuff that my mum did was was very thrifty. So bed sheets were not thrown out when they wore thin in the middle. You cut them half in half in the middle and turn them round so that the edges, which were more, oh, yeah. which weren't worn, were in the middle. Cunning. Cuffs were turned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yes, I don't. I don't quite know why we lost the skill, mm. but. Certainly, I, you know, starting to speak to a lot of people who are going into schools now and teaching sewing and mending and sustainability, either as a kind of after school activity or it's, you know, starting to enter the curriculum. So mm. I think, you know, this generation coming up, well, they, they can't afford not to. I mean, it's, it's not even a kind of lifestyle choice, is it? It's just that's how we have to be. We have to consume less. It's not even mm. a, a personal choice. Yeah. And the fashion industry is, I mean, people are slowly waking up to the amount of pollution and the amount of um, yeah. destruction it causes. Slowly. <laughs> I don't know if they still do, but big kind of high-end fashion names like Burberry used to put unsold items into landfill, didn't they? Yes, because so it couldn't be copied or it couldn't be cheapened. Yeah. Yeah. Do they, they still do that? As far as I know, they still do it. Also, large online shops, when they get returns, straight in the landfill, because it's cheaper than paying people to kind of go, go through the return and repackage it and put it back on the shelf. And it's just easier just to send it straight to landfill. So you literally get this system where something is made at the huge expense of the, you know, the economy that it's being made in and the environment it's being made in, and then gets shipped around the bloody world to Europe, which at great cost and expense. It gets shipped all over the place because the buttons come in and it gets zipped over there and zipped over there. And yeah, it's extraordinary. Transport everywhere. And then someone in Europe probably buys a thing, tries it on, doesn't fit. They send it back and it gets shipped all the way back again to where it came from and 
dumped in a pile. I mean, it's revolting. The, the whole cycle of it is nauseating, really is. And and yet it's absolutely commonplace. Mm. Oh, yes. Not good. Mm. I didn't know about the returns thing. Mm. Yeah. <sighs> it's not even gifted. It's just chucked. Maybe, you know, again, because people are starting to find out about this, I think there was a quite a good programme on ITV a month or two ago, which I think a lot of people saw. I think, you know, it could very quickly change mm. because as soon as we vote with our money and just step away and go, ah, I'm not doing that, they, they have no option but to change. I mean, we're the people paying for all this. Mm. For some reason, I think people think if they buy something, that's kind of like the end of the chain with them buying it. It's not. I mean, it's a circle and we buy into the circle. And it just keeps going and we just need to pull out the circle and the whole thing will collapse eventually. We yeah. all have a lot of power, really. Yeah. You had a neat phrase, which I, I spotted somewhere about um, about the power of your personal spending. Hmm. I said it was a question. Oh, it was a question. Can't remember. Oh, oh like, yes, I know what you're saying. I can't remember what I said. The only, <laughs> the only question is, bugger, I've forgotten. <laughs> yeah, sorry. There's only one question, and it's. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I can't remember either. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell me a bit about um, this process where you realised how your head worked and that something you stopped getting angry about everything and it came out like a pez, you said. So yeah, there's something yeah, changed with that in your creative process. Sorry, has something changed with that? Something changed in the way that you were behaving in your creative process. Okay. I just freed my time up actually because before before lockdown I was just sort of working seven days a week you know 20 hours a day pretty much on making my online business as successful as it could be and I had people working with me and I had warehouses and this and that and it was one of those things where I kind of realized during lockdown because I you know I was really really lucky I already worked from home I I didn't nothing really shifted for me in a in a big way I didn't lose loved ones I didn't lose my job or my home I kind of just carried on and actually did better um and I was thoroughly miserable about it and I thought well this is really odd I'm doing well and I'm really miserable why why would this be and I kind of just realized I hadn't really allowed my brain to disengage from just working on the stuff that I had to do to allow myself to react to what was coming in in into the world around me and uh I, I felt I was just on the so on the sidelines emotionally with with things that I wanted to connect more to and so I really radically changed everything about my job and now it's just me <laughs> and I work one day a week and I have six days a week to react which is the most liberating and wonderful thing ever and so because of that I was able to work out how I would react and I kind of needed a system for reacting otherwise it's just chaotic <laughs> and so tell I, me about that what is the system for reacting well to, to only react until or not to react until it makes me laugh that's okay. it so just never react out of anger out of frustration never moan I can't bear moaning it's like I there must be something I can do before I moan, anything. And then, yeah, that's, that's really, really freed me as, as a kind of thinker, really, massively. Just thinking about that. 
so I can give you an example if you like. Yeah, oh yeah, that's a good idea. So, so during lockdown, uh, I've been speaking to my dad on the phone every day. We have we have not been very close for a very long time, but I want to know how he was. We started talking, and because he didn't have very much to say, he would read me every morning an extract from the Daily Telegraph. <laughs> That was his way of communicating. Okay, fine. And it was always about either Donald Trump or actually mainly about Donald Trump at the time because he was still president. And I was starting to get a little riled by the fact that my dad seemed to need to tell me something really quite destructive every morning. But I could see that his hatred for the man was kind of keeping him alive. So I thought, I can't stop him. I did try a few times. I said, can we now talk about something else? And he'd go, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And then next morning he'd forgotten he'd stop reading out the paper again so I thought okay how can I not get cross with my dad for telling me endlessly about Donald Trump's lies I thought ah I know in the way that kind of airlines offset their flights or their emissions by planting trees I'm going to offset all the lies that my dad tells me from the paper by planting a flower and I'm going to build a garden so now I'm going to look forward to hearing these bloody lies because everyone I'm going to make a stick with what the lie is and stick it in the ground and plant a flower next to it and make something nice <laughs> to offset all the lies so there we are that's an example of sort of like it was bugging me and now it's not bugging me anymore because I've got an outlet <laughs> you've got a beautiful thing and where, where is the garden of lies it is actually opposite my house there's a bit of kind of like public land mm. and uh, I've just yeah I've just gorilla gorilla gardened it sure yeah it's still there so <laughs> and the lies that presumably the lies aren't growing into something else no but no, the lies are just there. But the, obviously the, the flowers are, but I'm not changing mm. the lies. So, yeah, the one I, um, I was testing my eyesight <laughs> particularly well. <laughs> yeah, most of, them, most of them are the good classics that everyone knows and loves. <laughs> mm. oh, yeah. And what, what, what did you like to wear? Because you have a beautiful sense of style. It's, it's kind of like your humour. It's quirky and vibrant and very witty. What did you like to wear when you were a kid? I've always worn about six things too many because I absolutely love colour, but I love the combinations of colour. You, know, you put sort of two together, it comes a bit more interesting. You put six together, it's like, oh, God, this is gorgeous. And so I would just keep adding until I had a kind of colour combination that made me incredibly happy. I mean, colour really does affect me. I actually became sexually attracted to a sofa <laughs> about two years ago. It was a weird experience of my life. I was walking down the New Kings Road and all those auction rooms and there was this sofa in the window and I was staring at it and I was like embarrassed to look at it. It was like, oh my God, and my pupils were dilating. I started to sweat and I realised it was a particular colour combination, which was a kind of mint green with a very soft pink and then these little hints of gold and maybe something Ooh. else. And it was just oh. like, oh. <laughs> I guess I have to really calm down. Christ, that would have been far too forward of me. But um, yeah, so I have always really enjoyed colour. So actually what I wear is completely secondary to what colour it is. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so pile it on until... It, do, you have, do you have synesthesia, do you think? I don't even know what that is. I'm sorry. It's, it's a neu neurological thing where you... Um, when particular words... Oh, yeah are associated, not, not just associated with a particular colour, but seen as a particular colour. No, I don't. So it's a, co it's a combination of where the senses get all wiggly wobbles together. And yes, I know what you mean now, thank you. Um, but no, I don't, I don't have words for colours at all. Mm. No. I think they ha I have sort of frequencies for them, if you know mm. what I mean. 
but I know that's personal to me. Whether colours have frequencies, I guess they do, and I'm quite. What do you, so? How how do you feel that? How do you understand that in yourself? I, I I have absolutely no idea, really. I, all I know is that if I uh, need to buy something to match, say I don't know something in my house, and I need to buy something to match it, I can mm. go kind of two months later and see a whole wall of colours and just be able to pick out the three that go with it absolutely perfect. I don't, it must, it must be a frequency thing because I'm not really looking at the colours. I can't even see straight. But so, something about these colours just sort of go, all right, that, that, that. It's, yeah, I don't know what it is. Mm. But it's, it's, yes, it, I suppose it's like good duets. Mm. They say, don't they, that the, the voices of the two women in ABBA, even if you, if you like ABBA songs or you don't like ABBA songs, there's, there's something about the quality of their two voices put together that just gives everyone goosebumps because it's mm. just hit that thing that, mm. yeah. So I guess I'm like that with colour. And you were born that way. <laughs> born that way. Yeah, must have, must have been. So what, I didn't learn anything. In what, fact, I don't even know what a colour wheel is. I went to art school. I was the only one that couldn't fill in the colour wheel. I was <laughs> Hopeless. I just I don't even understand. And it took I don't know. I, I think I still didn't know how to make brown until about three years ago. <laughs> so it certainly isn't anything learnt. Absolutely not. Yeah. So what? So did you? Did you? What was the last proper job you done? You said you were a printer. Have you had a proper job? <laughs> um, yeah, I worked in advertising for the first fifteen years of my adult life. Mm. Um, I was, I've always loved advertising from the age of about five. I remember just watching the ads. I didn't care about the programs in the middle. It was just the ads. I was actually fixated on it because it was kind of like, it was like a party game. Sort of, okay, here's this product and you've got to sell it. And it, it felt like a party game to me. And so I went to art school, I went to the Royal College of Art and I just studied advertising all by myself. There wasn't a course for it. I was on the graphics course, but I made advertising up for myself in a very strange way. I mean, <laughs> lots of fish and stuff it was all bonkers anyway I managed to get a job and I had an absolutely lovely time doing it I mean being part of sort of a bigger team of creative people all making quite interesting things I was really lucky I worked for a very creative agency so it was very good so that was a first sort of third of my life telling people to buy stuff and then the second third was me making my own stuff and saying people please buy this and now in the third third of my kind of working life I'm saying don't buy anything <laughs> so yeah I've come full circle really. yeah but it, it's certainly it's cyclical <laughs> isn't it <laughs> yeah but I think yeah I think advertising combined a lots of stuff I loved doing so I love writing I love performing and if you're gonna you know try and sell an idea to a client you actually have to perform the damn thing mm. um and I was also the art director so everything about it just hit all my happy buttons really Mm. But I, in the end, I left because I came to realise, as does every creative uh, in advertising, that the, the nearer you are to the creative idea, the less control you have over anything that happens to it. And it can be just immensely frustrating because you have to always care passionately and then be prepared to totally give it all up. <laughs> and that kind of dual thing starts to drive people mad after a while. Yeah. And you've had, you've had some difficulty with people's nicking your designs as well haven't you thinking of letting go oh well yes that's that has always always been the case and yes I think one thing I learned particularly with the street stitching thing is that I would always get so upset because I I just I just value originality over almost anything else and I always think that other people that are going to make things or create things should also value that I mean maybe it's not very valuable I'm not sure but it always has been to me so the fact that I kind of 
created something and then someone else has just taken it just just seems like such a violation so I, I would always get very angry but I never did anything about it I never took legal advice on it I just I just got riled and it's only kind of quite recently in something like the street searching thing it's not about my idea or me or anything egocentric it's just about oh right what can I give out what can I what can I think of that I can give away completely for free to as many people as possible and just change that mindset and that's really helped me mentally mm. that sounds much um much calmer yes <laughs> that's, that's exhausting <laughs> absolutely absolutely and and so much more uh, effective mm. so much more effective yeah well you can see yeah it's gone pre-mark to global makes you braver as what well. makes me braver you know there's so many things i wouldn't quite dare to do if it was for me Mm. But when it's not about me anymore, you sort of think, well, I've got to make this happen because this is good for everyone. So, And then you just start asking people for stuff or just putting yourself out there in a way that I would not have dared to do before. Can you give us an example? Just people I've contacted and sort of said, you might want to get involved in this. I would have, I would have not dared. I'm not going to say who, but I, w- I wouldn't have dared to go. You and I thought, well, they're not going to be interested in me. What are you talking? And they wouldn't have been. I mean, that's the thing. They wouldn't have been interested in me. Why would they be? But in something that isn't about me, it's you know, it has it has caught their interest, and it's yeah, it's just a whole kind of shift, isn't it? Of mm. uh, stuff. <laughs> it's ownership. It's we can't really own ideas, can we? No, and I was a fool when I thought I could. Yeah, because that's what you trade when you work, you know, when you make things for yourself or when you when you try to have original ideas. You, that is your trade. That is your the thing that you're paid to do. Mm. So it seems really valuable to keep. And yeah, I have learned it's not. <laughs> and it's in, that's in, it's impossible because one thing is inevitably built. You know, one I the next. Yeah art movement is inevitably built on the previous one yeah either as a reaction or a development or a something or other completely completely and we're all, we're all connected up of course mm. and i now just believe that anything that enters my head is not mine it's just it's just come through me and it's going to go somewhere else and it's a really yeah pleasing easy way to see thought now <laughs> so what, what do you get up to when when you're not reacting and being invited to do crazy things by people <laughs> you're required to step up I've, I've, i love walking mm. absolutely love walking and but you know particularly in lockdown i suppose like everyone like i've just walked everywhere and i started this silly little project i'm always doing a silly little project that's what i do to relax oh apart from obviously kind of meeting friends and that kind of but any little private project um and this one was about finding words within the roads of areas that spelt spelt sorry finding letters with within streets that spelt words it was because there's a great guy, I think he's called Simon Ward, and he does a thing called the Boring Lectures, which obviously, far from boring, of course they're not, they're brilliant, but the Boring Lectures is a, is a great thing, and I really wanted to do one, and I was thinking, oh, I, I can't think of anything boring enough, and I thought, I know, if I, if I man- manage to walk the word boring, I can, I can do a boring walk, and I can show people what they'll see along the boring walk, which invariably is quite interesting, because the places where streets form lots of kind of curves and things that can be O's and R's and G's and all joined together are in older parts of London because of the whole cityscaping, if you know what I mean. It's not just a grid like modern. 
so those are the most interesting areas and that's I managed to find boring in, in loads of them so I've been walking boring I've been doing the boring walk <laughs> in my spare time at the moment which uh, is a daft thing to be doing and, and again, I love it completely random um I have, I have no control over where I'm going to go. I've got to follow the line of the G and wherever that takes me, that's where I go. And it's like, oh, but there's something really interesting over there, but oh, I can't because I'm on my G. All right, I have to go around this corner instead. So I like that. I like the loss of control I have over it. Yeah, I, I, can, I, I, I like to try and go a different way when I'm yeah. walking. Absolutely. And see something new even though I'm quite like the old ways. The old ways are quite soothing and pleasing, but there's always something new and interesting because I feel, I feel more alive if I'm going somewhere, a different path. Quite. More, more wakey-wakey. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> I, I like the boring, I, I think I know what you're talking about with the boring lectures. They had one on, um, the woman did one on the, the stamps on cardboard boxes. It's a podcast, right? Um, that sounds absolutely right. I haven't heard that one, but yes. Are they, I, I used to use them to, to, to um, send me to sleep in the middle of the night, but they were too interesting. They're all, they're all interesting because they're so fanatical. The, mm. the one I remember is about a man who um, records his sneezes. And so he, has, he, has a, <laughs> he has this huge journal. And every time he sneezes, he writes down what he was doing when he sneezed, uh, what he did immediately after he sneezed, and the velocity of the sneeze, obviously also the date and the time. And uh, so he said, yeah, it's interesting because you, you get to kind of actually um, mark times that otherwise you would never mark. So like between getting up to turn the television on and the television coming on is now kind of a, 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 a moment of time that otherwise would never be recorded. And uh, he was saying, he's been doing it now for quite a long time. And he's at a dinner party and he, and he sneezed. He went, oh, excuse me. And he kind of wrote this down on a scrap of paper so he could put it in the journal. And they go, well, yeah, what are you doing? What are you, oh, I, I record my sneezes. And they're right, uh, how, long you, how long have you been doing that? And he went, oh, five years. And suddenly they go, oh my God, really? And they're really interested. He said that the only difference between something that's incredibly boring and something that's really interesting is time. If you've been doing it for long enough, it becomes really interesting. The kind of the fanaticism of it becomes interesting. Where if he said, oh, I've never done it before in my life, they just think, oh, that's pretty boring. So I thought that was quite an interesting little insight into uh, yeah, how interesting. you just keep doing it. <laughs> mm. I have a, a poster from, I think it was from some art school, written by an art school teacher in my kitchen and num rule is there's lots of rules um, but um rule number seven is do the work yeah <laughs> you know somebody who you know i'm, I'm always sort of oh anxious oh but i'm not sure oh, you know I'm, I'm, I'm prone to the wibbles yes the wibbles it's a lovely word i'm prone to wibbles and that can take up a lot of energy and a lot of time when i'm wibbling and Rule number seven is like, okay, you just do the work. Yeah. And there's, there's something about noting down the sneeze and or making the mark or writing the thing or what, whatever the work is. It's the commitment to the non-idea, isn't it? <laughs> and it's incredibly powerful. It doesn't matter if it's shit, you know. Oh God, the shit of the better. If you're completely committed to always, always do the same shit thing, that's just going to be mind-blowing the interesting <laughs> after a while. 
<laughs> okay, but wouldn't that be fun? Let's, let's do that. Let's get up every morning and do something shit. Exactly. Same time, same place, every day. Ten years. <laughs> World changing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I always ask um, my guests for their tip on how to have a, a satisfying inner life. Can you, can you, well, how can you, how do you make your life, your inner life happy? Um, well, I think for one thing, not to expect that it's always got to be happy. I, you know, I think we all strive for happiness as some kind of future goal that we will arrive at when we do this, 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 and this. And to know that it's available at any time in the present moment, but that if it isn't there, that doesn't even matter either. That kind of there isn't really a right or a wrong, and that um, yeah, happiness can be very elusive, and that's that's fine. And to kind of be happy without to be happy to not feel happy, if you see what I mean, yeah. is quite big for me. Um, I think also the kind of okay, whenever I get really stressed about something. You know, I've got to fill in some bloody HMRC form and I don't know what I'm doing. It all just seems really tense. I just have to remember that, like, <laughs> I am so infinitesimally tiny and everyone that works at HMRC is also so infinitesimally tiny. And we're like a little grain of sand, you know, on one beach in this world. And that's kind of where we are in the universe. And it nothing bloody matters. <laughs> Fuck, really. <laughs> It's, yeah, I, I, yeah, some people might find that depressing. I actually find it utterly liberating. No one knows what they're doing. Humans have made up everything, you know. It, it doesn't matter. It actually doesn't matter at all. Um, yeah, we're, we're all too insignificant for anything to matter very much. So that, that keeps me fairly grounded. My own deep insignificance. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. Context. <laughs> it just doesn't matter. Um, and also, I think, you know, slightly going back to what I was saying before, this rather than... Bring, coming to any situation with what can I get out of it is like what can I do to help what can I what can I give mm. and and that's been a massive sort of mind change to me and also this sounds really really corny I know but I actually it pins to my computer which is, is the little line what would I do if I wasn't scared right. that's good. <laughs> yeah. well I think that that's a uh, design for life <laughs> yeah school of life stuff that fantastic thank you so Stitching on the 14th of September. On, on and around. Yeah, the, the Sustainable Fashion Week, I think, goes from the 11th to the 19th. Okay. I bumped for the Tuesday, the 14th, just because on the particular street I'm on, which is in Bromley, um, there's no nothing else taking place that day. Okay. Otherwise, it's going to be kind of markets or whatever. So I've plumped for that one. So a lot of other people are doing it on that day. But, you know, any time around that week, if anyone wants to do it, it would be glorious. And um, how, do, how, do they, how do they connect with you to find... So, yeah, so there's a website, which is just streetstitching.com. And if they go to that, they can find either how to join an existing group or how to start their own, mm. uh, plus QR codes and a little bit more about the whole thing. And also the most lovely gallery of chairs and chair backs. Really nice that people have done already. Uh, or if they're on Instagram, they can follow at Street Stitching or they can follow me because I also post about it all on my own site, which is at Twisted Twee. And your shop doesn't exist anymore? It does. It exists on Mondays. <laughs> <laughs> I like you, could, you could order something, but it might. But it might not come for a while. <laughs> yeah, it'll, it'll, I print and post every Monday. So, yeah, it'll... Okay. 
take a week. And what, what is what is your what is that website, please? If people want to buy it, because your stuff is gorgeous and funny and needs to be purchased. Thank you very much. It's pretty daft. And yeah, and actually, as part of Twisted Tree is the clothing hospital, which I'm a bit more excited about. Which is okay, the, tell us about that then. Um, well, that's just about people sending me their pre-loved clothes that might now be a bit knackered or they might be a bit bored of, and I will just embellish it with words or with sort of thoughts or whatever people want and then post it back to them. So wow, it's new again and exciting and a bit of a bespoke thing. So there's quite a lot of, of, of uh, clothing hospital stuff on Twisted Tweet and okay. lots of examples of things that I've made. Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much, Susie, for um, changing the world, for being, for being, <laughs> for being instigating an out of control global movement. I'm <laughs> making so many people happy. If you want to find out more about Stitch It, Don't Ditch It, you can find the information at streetstitching.com and Susie's shop where you can buy brilliantly bonkers gifts is Twisted Twee, that's twisted, T-W-E-E.co.uk. Uh, I'd love to hear your responses to our conversation. How do you manage the, the panic and the, the difficulty of the, this overwhelming environmental catastrophe? What do you do? Uh, do pop over to Instagram where I'm Kate underscore Codrington and we can have a chat. If you've enjoyed this episode, it would be just fabulous. I'd be so grateful if you felt able to share it with a friend who might like it. And maybe you'll go street stitching together on the 14th during Sustainable Fashion Week. Who knows? And don't forget to join me next week where we're going on an exciting voyage into the inside world of sleep and perimenopause. Goodbye. Oh, 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 oh,